Tag Box Talk, and this is Horse Stories with a Purpose. Who are we? We are equine educators, but we are owners. We are judges. We are competitors. We are coaches. We are volunteers. We are moms. We are horse owners just like you, and we want to share our horse stories with a purpose. To Extension Horses Tack Box Talk Series Horse Stories with a Purpose. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Heine with Oklahoma State University, and today we're going to be talking about figuring out our forage needs to get us through the fall and winter. So our guest today is Dr. Krishona Martinson from the University of Minnesota. So welcome, Krishona. Thank you for having me. So most horse people, if we start talking about mass, their eyes glaze over, and this is not on our top list of activities that have to do with horses. But if we're talking about figuring and calculating, I guess that means we've got to do some math. Is that right? You know, I think that's just not horse people. I think that's all people, right? You see math and you do get that blank stare. But unfortunately, with horse ownership, a little bit of math is certainly required. So all of us, it doesn't really matter what part of the country we live in, we're going to have to supply hay to our horses at some part of the year. So even while in Oklahoma, it's a lot warmer and we're not covered with snow, our grass does go dormant. So how does one decide how much hay do we have to stockpile in order to get our horses back around through when the grass is growing again? So that's a great question. And even up here in Minnesota, Um, Obviously, we have a much more distinct cutoff for our growing season with winter, Um, but I think we can just start with, okay, let's have your average thousand pound adult horse, and most horses will consume between two and two and a half percent of their body weight in feedstuffs a day, and if we assume that most of that is going to be in the form of forages, that's 20 to 30 pounds of hay each day. Now, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but there's, you have to account for a little bit of waste when feeding, a little bit of waste when storing. So let's, for easy math, let's just say we're going to plan worst case scenario. We have a thousand pound horse. They're going to eat 3% of their body weight each day. And this is a horse that's confined to a dry lot year round or kept in a stall year round. There's no access to pasture. They're not getting copious amounts of grain that'll subtract from this. So let's say they're getting 30 pounds of hay a day. You would take 30 pounds times 365 days a year. And that gives us almost 11,000 pounds of hay or 10,950. If you wanna look at that as a per ton basis, divide it by 2000 you get about five and a half tons. If you're buying 50 pound small square bales, you would divide 10,950 by that 50 pounds. And that one horse, that's a thousand pounds eating 3% year round would need 219 small square bales. Or if we look at round bales that are 900 pounds, they would need about 12 round bales. And I think a lot of people kind of go back to that old rule of thumb that a horse will eat a half a bale um, each day. So we have 365 days of the year. This horse is eating a little bit more than normal because we're accounting for waste and other factors. So that 219 small square bales is a pretty good starting point. 
Well, what if you don't really know how much your bales of hay weigh? So, you know, I know down here, our hay may weigh a little bit differently. And then we have like larger square bales and then we have rectangular bales. Like how does one actually know what that weight of it's gonna be, especially if it's a round bale? Yeah, well, so with horse ownership, it would be ideal if you could at least have a feel for that. So with the small square bale you can do, you can stand on a scale, you can hold the round bale as you're standing on the scale and then subtract your body weight from the hay bales. They make little platform scales. Um, sometimes if you're buying a whole load, you can run it across a waist scale and then estimate the weight per bale. But with small square bales, I think you can even just do some lifting up, right? I mean, a 30 pound small square bale, I can lift up really easy. Once they get to hit about 50 pounds, I can tell there's a little bit more weight there. So you really have to have somewhat of a feel, even if it is just a rough guesstimate. With round bales, that is tough. Obviously, you're not going to be heave-hoeing up a round bale together. Um, if you could run it across a scale, um, maybe if you have a skid loader or a tractor and it kind of has a lifting weight uh, maximum, of, if it starts to tip forward a little bit, you know, you're at the maximum. <laughs> wait, a minute, wait a minute. We're going to weigh bales like when the tractor tips over? <laughs> That's right. Chris, not tips over, goes forward a little bit. Right. So you guys, this, I'm just, you know, it is, I'm just trying to throw out every plausible idea I have, right? Like you have seen the people hauling things that are too heavy where the back ends up a little bit. Um, at least it gives you an idea because you probably know what the lifting capacity of your tractor skid loader is. Um, but you can also just, you know, round bales come in and you know different diameters so they're usually four by four four feet by four feet so four feet wide by four feet tall those are going to be your smaller probably 750 to 800 pound round bales four by five so four feet by five feet five feet tall they are probably going to be more that you know 900 to 1000 pounds where now they make those really large round bales that are five by sixes so six feet tall those are probably going to be anywhere from 1100 to 1200 pounds um, obviously how dense they're packed, if it's alfalfa tends to be heavier than grass. So you can kind of do some guesstimating by just the physical size, but you're right. It is very hard to estimate the weight of a large round bale. So when you gave us our 12 round bales for a horse for an entire year, that was again, your, your middle size, your four by five round bale. That is probably about 900 pounds. Yep. Now you were doing some uh, extra math or essentially rounding up to about 3% of the horse's body weight. And you said that was accounting for wastage. So what are we talking about um, wastage? So I definitely have seen some horses will take naps in their round bales. I assume that sort of falls into the wastage category. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two primary kinds of waste. Um, waste from storage. So if you are storing, for example, you know, most small square bales are stored inside because we can physically maneuver them into a barn or into a shed. Um, a lot of round bales are stored outside because they're rounded, they're meant to shed that precipitation. But we know if bales are stored outside, we can have up to 35% waste of that bale just by storing it outside. And I'm sure you've all seen a round bale that has like a couple inches of that kind of weathered crusty look. But if you flip that off, the 
the rest of the bale is good. The problem is when you have a, a circle, like a round bale, a couple inches can represent a third of the bale. So we know if you have four to six inches of waste, depending on the size of the bale, you can lose up to 36% of that bale. So hay that is stored outside, we need to buy more bales because we know that outer crust is going to be wasted. The horses are not going to eat it. They're going to flip that off. They're going to, that's the hay that they probably lay on and urinate and defecate on. And it kind of be, turns into mud or manure. Now the other major, so on the flip side, hay that's stored indoors, we can kind of count that as really 95% or 100% viable. There, you know, usually sometimes when that round bale sits on the floor, you might have a little teeny bit of waste just where it comes into contact with the ground. Using pallets can help eliminate that, um, but really storage can be a big factor. The other factor can be feeding once you, once you take it out of storage and give it to the horses. So we've done quite a bit of research looking at different types of bale feeders. With round bales, because you're putting out 900 pounds or 1,000 pounds of hay at once, if you do not use the feeder, you can have an excess of 50% waste. And I think we've all seen when nothing inhibits that horse, they're absolute slobs, right? They tear the hay out. Within two days, it's completely flattened. It's half as a pillow, half as a little anti-pea splash pad um, and it turns into just mud and manure where if we use feeders that are more restrictive and not restrictive bad but just restrictive where they can't completely devour it or there's some barrier between the horse and the hay we know that for example like hay nets we can get that waste down to six percent so most feeders reside somewhere between that 30 percent waste and as low as five percent waste so using a feeder will dramatically cut down on waste and dramatically reuse, reduce the amount of hay you need and really reduce the amount of time you spend out, you spend spreading manure out in the spring or whenever you clean your pens. The same can be true for feeding small square bales both in a stall. That research was done at, uh, um, in Texas. And they know that if you feed hay on the stall floor, you can have anywhere from six to 11% waste, or if you feed it in some kind of feeder in the stall, you can reduce that waste down to one to 3%. And the same thing when feeding small square bales outdoors. If you just throw your hay on the ground outdoors, your waste is about 11%, where if you use any kind of a feeder, again, we're usually less than 5% waste. So, so let's go back um, to those, those feeders a little bit. And, you, and when you were talking about feeders that you had um, done some research with and talked about nets on round bales, and I definitely have seen those. They're, they're designed to kind of slow the horse down because free buffet of food, why wouldn't you eat as fast as you could? But if you're putting those hay nets, you keep talking about like this outer crust of the round bale. So if you're going to use a hay net, do you have to peel the crust off just like mom and the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Oh, Dr. Heine, you are so smart. That is exactly what needs to happen. So thank you for that. Yes, if you, so if you are putting a net on a round bale or a small square bale, the hay needs to be of good quality because the horses do not have the ability to differentiate the hay. They can't put their noses under and kind of flip up that crust or remove that crust. So if you are feeding round bales that have been stored outside for probably more than 90 days, that's when we kind of start to see that crust form. 
um, or in a more wet environment. Obviously, Oklahoma tends to be a drier climate than Minnesota, so it might take longer in Oklahoma, shorter in Minnesota. Um, you're going to have to remove that crust exactly like you suggested. You're going to cut that crust right off that peanut butter and jelly sandwich so those kids eat it, right? Um, so you're going to have to do that because the horses can't. If you are simply using a feeder without a net where they can still get in, the horses will do that naturally. Um, but again, uh, you know, we always get the question of, oh, there's mold and dust. Yes, there is. And if you want to reduce the chance of your horse inhaling that and causing issues, you would probably want to remove that before feeding at all times. Um, but sometimes it's so minimal, the horses will do it kind of naturally. Yeah, and I've definitely seen horses um, with round bales that have that crust that they essentially, they make a hole, right? And then they stick their whole head into the hole to eat the good parts in the middle. But my guess is that's probably not the best for their respiratory system. No, it is not. And that's really a benefit of the net or even some of the feeders that have um, more narrow slats. It really inhibits the horse from being able to do that. Um, and you're right, even for a horse that is perceived to be healthy or free of things like heaves and allergies, or even just can get that respiratory distress or respiratory irritation, um, it really does help inhibit them from making that burrow because I have also seen that as well. So let's go back to our, our math here. So you had given us an estimate of about 12 round bales for a single horse or 219. That's a very accurate assessment there. Um, <laughs> small squares, 50 pound bales for one horse. But that assumes that, yeah, we're feeding in a stall and, and uh, or a dry lot. So how does one kind of figure out how much do they need if they live in an area that has pasture supporting the nutrition of the horse for part of the year? All right, I'm gonna get my phone ready here. So obviously- That's not to phone a friend now, is it? Yeah, I'm gonna phone you, Dr. Heine. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm gonna do. Um, so you gotta do a little bit of math, but it's not hard. So most horses do have some access to pasture. So let's say we have 365 days in a year but let's say that horse has 120 days of access to pasture where they are getting their full nutrient requirement from the pasture. And that's wonderful because we know from our, from our estimates that pasture costs about the third amount as hay. So pasture is a more affordable feedstuff for the horse usually. So we have 360, we're just gonna minus that 120 days. So now we come up with 245 days on hay. And again, we take that 245 times 30 pounds of hay per day for that thousand pound horse who's eating 3% of their body weight. Um, we get a little over 7,000 pounds. If we divide by 50 pounds small square bales, we are now down to 147. So we went from 219 down to 147. And again, that 3% is quite high because I'm naturally accounting for some of that waste that comes along with it. And I think you mentioned it previously, most owners want to overshoot a little bit simply so that we are not scrambling to find hay before that first cutting um, of the following year. And we always wanna have a little bit of hay left to transition that horse slowly from the old hay diet to the new hay diet, even if it is grass hay or a grass alfalfa mix or Bermuda grass, we still wanna allow some old hay to transition to the new hay. 
So you talked about overshooting a little bit with our, our purchasing. And so what's kind of the, the shelf life? If we did overshoot um, and safety up a bit in our hay needs, how long can I hold on to my exuberant purchase from last year? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, so the University of Ken uh, 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 Kentucky did a research project where they looked at hay that was stored inside for 20 years. Dr. Heine, can you imagine being the poor graduate student on that project? So they never got to leave? <laughs> they never got to leave. So, um, or even that faculty member, that's a long-term commitment. And they um, actually tested that hay over that course of the 20 years. And we know even from just harvesting hay, that hay that is baled properly, so baled you know, with 15% moisture or less, and then stored properly, so stored indoors and, um, an environment that doesn't have a leaky roof or a lot of sun penetration or moisture extremes, that hay can last indefinitely. In Minnesota, we, we think that most horse owners don't have the luxury of sitting on multiple year hay supplies, but because we go through some pretty sporadic seasonal changes with highs and lows and humidity and moisture, that even though hay lasts indefinitely, we would like to see people use their hay supply within two years. And I think a lot of horse owners would love to be able to sit on a two-year hay supply, but likely just because of finances and storage, that usually doesn't happen. But hay will last indefinitely if it is baled properly and stored properly. Well, that's great to know. So we can uh, we can go ahead and safety up a bit and not worry about um, having a lot of nutrient loss if it's stored inside, right? So Absol yeah, absolutely. You know. All of those, a lot of those mineral, a lot of those um, vitamins and some of those minerals that are lost, the minute you cut that hay and that hay is drying in the field, whether it takes two days in a really hot, dry climate or seven days in more of a moderate Midwestern climate, a lot of those nutrients are leached out at that time. So once you store it, it's, uh, it's a very stable product, fortunately for all of us. Now, what if you're an owner that uh, maybe moved a decimal point or didn't do their math exactly right uh, when we we're playing this game and they look like they're running out before spring green up occurs? Do you have any advice for, uh-oh, now my supply is looking a little thin? Yeah, that's why I tell my kids, what do we do now? Panic. No, just kidding. Right. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do. Um, there are hay extender products that you could maybe slowly transition into the diet, but I just want to, you know, emphasize the importance of that slow transition. Anytime we make any dietary changes, it needs to be done slowly over the course of about 10 days to two weeks. Um, and that is just to allow the horse's microbiome and the microbes that digest the feedstuffs to slowly transition with the feedstuffs so that we don't have a mass die off of an instant change because that instant change is what can lead to colic and laminitis and things that kind of send us horse owners into a panic. So there are um, forage extender products, uh, hay cubes, um, hay pellets. There are complete feeds that you can feed. Um, there's older hay that you could perhaps buy. Um, if you know, if your pastures are looking good, maybe a little bit of early grazing, although as a pasture specialist, that makes me a little bit nervous um, because we want those pastures to at least get a jump start and start, you know, capturing sunlight and have a le enough leaf material to, to, to keep their strong roots. Um, but I think the hay extenders looking for, you know, older hay is probably your best bet. 
And then you probably learned an important lesson. You're probably going to be uh, a little bit carefuler with your math, although a lot of us have been there in the past. Right. So do our equations change any, um, if obviously if we're feeding, you know, five horses in a stall versus one horse, we just multiply times five. But do the dynamics change any bit with our estimations if our horses are housed together? So sort of group house situations or does it all still even out with our average of 3%? You know, um, I, that, that's a great question. So the biggest thing with grouped housed animals is you have to try to get an accurate assessment of weight. And we know horses, just like some people, their feed intake is going to be substantially more. But most research shows that horses will eat between two and 3% of their body weight, even if they are given a round bale of 24 seven access. To us, it may seem like they never stop, like right, their face is in the bale and then it comes out and there's a pile of manure behind them and they don't move. But the reality is, is that they do move, they do stop eating, they don't eat 24 seven. Um, so it, having that accurate herd body weight, but then again, it's still 3% of the herd body weight times how many days on hay, and then divided by the weight of either your small square bales or your round bales. Um, the other thing that really changes it though, is if you're feeding a lot of um, concentrated grain products to the horses. So for example, if you have uh, maybe a horse that's a hard keeper, or maybe a performance horse, and you're feeding five pounds of a grain product, you know, that 3% body weight, you need to subtract that um, from the hay. So instead of having 30 pounds of hay, and again, that's high end, worst case scenario, we're counting for some waste with feeding and storage. Uh, you know, we would subtract that five pounds of grain a day um, and then figure 25 pounds. Now, of course, I'm oversimplifying this because different grain, con you know, different grain products have different concentrations of digestible energy and other nutrients that we have to keep in mind. But again, this is to give you all a rough estimate, right? This is just to give you a rough estimate on how to calculate hay needs and not to, for example, completely balance your horse's ration. It is just to get you to the point where you can feel comfortable and sleep well at night, knowing you have enough hay to get you through the season. Sure. So could I ask, what is the square root of 47,522? Well, that's one acre, right, Chris? <laughs> good you are at your math <laughs> yes. yes that's how many square feet is in an acre so every good agronomist should know that <laughs> <laughs> well do you have any other uh final tips or uh things for people to think about when we're just coming up with estimates about uh, securing our hay supply for the winter yeah you know i think really what we've what we've already talked about and um you know, you have to try to somehow estimate body weight of your horses. And Dr. Viney, do we have a podcast on that? If I don't think we do. I just tell everybody I meet just how to do it. So I assume right. that like, therefore we're good. Um, <laughs> but certainly we could do a, a podcast on estimating body weight, but there's no visuals. Like you can't see me. Yeah, that's true. Up. It's not as fun. You know, th there's equations, there's weight tapes, there's mobile apps to estimate horse body weight. So estimate your horse's body weight, estimate the weight of your hay bales, and then estimate the days on hay, right? And subtract any major amounts of concentrated grain products you're giving and pasture access. 
And that gives you a really good estimate. And again, use that 3% body weight, knowing that most horses will eat between two and two and a half percent body weight. But again, that extra half a percent allows us for some carryover in case it's a cold, wet spring and the farmer can't get into his fields or the fields are just growing slower than normal. Um, you know, if you think you're gonna have, you know, new crop hay on June 1st, I would really want my hay supply to to last me at least through June 20th. So it's kind of good to have at least two weeks of extra hay on supply. And for some people that's, I mean, that would make me a little nervous personally. I would like at least a 30 day extra supply because as we've all learned in 2020, things happen. That's right, right. So, and you don't just suddenly say, okay, it's June 1st, open the gate, out you go, no more hay. Like we, we should gradually transition from one on to the next. It's not an all or nothing type of deal. Yep. And you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. That transition time, even from hay to pasture, pasture to back to hay, transitioning between old hay or new hay or different hay crops. Um, it's, it's just really important to kind of hedge your bet, you know, hedge your bet that your horse will stay healthy and try to reduce any of those issues that come along with a really rapid diet change. Of course, sometimes even with the best planning, right, we can't help that. We have a hurricane, we have a fire, like things happen. Um, and, you know, at that point, you're kind of in more of a you know, emergency mode, but in a non-emergency mode, it'd be nice to have, you know, that 30 days of hay supply. And again, it's really pretty simple math, 3% body weight of the horse or herd um, times by the number of days you need hay, and then add a little extra just so you can sleep well at night. There you go. Well, I'm excited about trying to weigh some horses by tipping over a tractor. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I mean, not horses. Hey. And not tipping over, just tipping <laughs> forward. Just a titch, just a little light in the back. <laughs> exactly right. Just a little light. <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, talking about math and making it fun. Um, that's always our goal uh, in a lot of extension programs is making science just a little bit more uh, palatable to people. So with that, I'll say thank you, Dr. Martinson. And that has been our Hackbox Talk, for stories with a purpose. Bye. Thank you for having me.